Sorry. Yeah, you have built up my anticipation so much. <laughs> I'm worried it won't live up to it. Okay, it won't. It takes more than great Silverlight skills to be a great engineer. This is soft skills engineering. <laughs> this is soft skills engineering episode 117. I'm your host, Dave Smith. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. In case it gets edited out, Dave spent about a minute trying not to crack up to prepare himself to drop that like earth-shattering joke. <laughs> Silverlight. Uh, I didn't think it was that funny, but now I think it's hilarious that you couldn't read that without laughing. <laughs> I told you it wouldn't be funny. But now that makes it funny because well, it's okay. not. <laughs> what, is, what, what is this show? Soft Skills Engineering is a weekly advice show for software developers about non-technical topics. Yeah. We have some patrons to thank. Thank you so much to the folks who are supporting the show. Nick Cantor, Dimitro, and Neonilla, David Jackson, Ken Howard, Sean Clayton, and Dustin Coates. You all are supporting at the level where we thank you every single week. And you too can pledge your support to the show. It helps pay for design and for editing and um, ice cream like maybe once <laughs> or twice a month with all the leftovers. You can go to softskills.audio. And then click the support us on Patreon button, or you can go to patreon.com slash softskillsing and join this this elite group. Yes. Thank you very much. All right. Would you like to read our first question, Jameson? I would. Yeah. This is from an anonymous listener. Will working as a defense contractor hurt my future employability in private industry? I work as a full stack engineer at a small defense contractor with a security clearance. My company is awesome. All my coworkers are super talented and motivated. On top of that, we get to work with modern tech stacks like React, Elm, Go, Rust, Kafka, you name it, we can use it. I've heard rumors that it's hard to move back to private industry after working in this world due to working with old legacy tech and the view that defense contractors generally have less than stellar engineers. Is this true? I feel I'm in a bit of a unique situation due to how good I, due to how good I have it at my company and feel I could demonstrate that my technical chops are up to par with industry standards. All right, listen, defense contractor with security clearance, I have a question for you. Are aliens real? <laughs> Is there a security clearance level at which you can answer that question definitively? <laughs> I don't know. You don't have it if, if there is. <laughs> yeah, clearly, if there is, I, I don't know about it. Yeah, I, I, hmm. so what do you think, Jameson? Is there a stigma against defense industry software engineers? I'm going to say yes. As someone who has never worked in the defense industry, I feel like I have in this 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 image in my head of, of someone who's very conservative technically and very interested in like stability. And you, you hear about all these like bloated government projects and, and huge cost overruns and failed programs and stuff mm -hmm. so i think all that together in my head contributes to kind of like a clock punching do the bare minimum mm. possible to to go home and not worry about technical excellence thing this is like the harshest version of the view in my head mm -hmm. i'm not a huge jerk i swear <laughs> but but i do have a, a vague negative stereotype of defense contractor developers and i recognize that that can't be true like i don't know there have i'm sure there are great people that work there there are like dozens of engineers listening to this podcast right now just enraged with you. I'm sure there are. Yeah, that's the thing. I'm sure there are lots of people that work in these industries and I just don't know them at all. But I don't, yeah, I, I think it is from just hearing about like crappy government programs that fail. I mean, no, no one ever has crappy startups that fail or like <laughs> crappy big business projects that fail. Everyone knows those always succeed. So <laughs> their sterling reputation is deserved. <laughs> when startups fail, you get amazing think pieces out of it, though. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, when a government yeah. program fails, you just get nothing because yeah. 
because they can't write about it because they have security clearance. <laughs> I'm now imagining this like our incredible journey style medium blog post by somebody who worked on like some robot arm on a spaceship or something and just like I don't know we learned so much and we grew and the market just wasn't ready for our four trillion dollar <laughs> titanium coated I don't know. <laughs> well Maybe now would be the time for me to reveal that I worked in this very industry for eight years. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. I knew you sucked all along, Dave. <laughs> um, how was it? Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> do, you, do you feel like there was a skill difference between private versus public industry? Um, you know... No. Uh, so I'll, I'll just tell a little bit about my story. So first of all, I'm actually very surprised to hear from this listener that they were able to work with such new technology stacks, you know, React, yeah. Elm, Go, Rust. I mean, that's very impressive. Um, when I started out in the defense industry, we were working with uh, stuff that was reasonably new at the time, but it was never bleeding edge, cutting edge stuff. Um, and what ended up happening over the course of those eight years is that new technologies emerged outside of uh, our like visibility and we just didn't really adopt them and it wasn't so much programming languages frameworks things like that it was whole new ways of building things like this whole new like SaaS model where engineers develop it the whole devops concept kind of sprung up, came out while we i was working as a defense contractor and the kinds of systems we were building were what, we, what you call turnkey systems where you build them and then hand them over to someone else to operate and so you know whereas typical SaaS development now is more like you build it you operate it and it's just a completely different model and so i found that i was unable to get experience doing that you know things like aws and whatnot complete mm. completely out of reach for where we were working um some of that's changed by the way but uh, anyway long story short i transitioned just fine it was no problem at all uh there were certainly a lot of things in my mind that needed to change the way that i approached problems and thought about especially things like processes and um like deployment strategy and like release strategy, you know, that all had to change really significantly. But as far as technology goes, you know, there's no problem. What about like, so so technically skilled wise, that's not a word <laughs> or phrase, but in terms of the level of technical oh. skill, you're saying it's it was pretty much the same? We, um, so we hired, um, we grew our office from about 25 engineers to about 100 over the course of eight years. And we had, we were just surrounded by amazing people. It was fantastic. I hired, I'm sorry, I didn't personally hire them, but I interviewed a lot of people um, and was part of the hiring decisions for a lot of those people. And uh, no, I didn't see any skill gap between the engineers I worked with in the defense industry and engineers I worked with later on in like an internet startup. Um, in fact, many of my co-workers from my defense industry time eventually came and joined me uh at the startup i went to later so that was probably like six or seven people um yeah. so yeah they all had no problem transitioning to private industry either uh, i honestly i think the boundary is more imaginary than real between these two sectors um having said that though i will say that not all defense companies are the same and i certainly encountered a lot of companies that uh hired engineers who um, wouldn't really succeed as well in what I would call private industry, you know? Sure. Uh, and there's, there's a lot of reasons for that. Like um, some of them are, the pace is just totally different. You know, like if you're working on an internet startup, 
you know, it's all about, you have to be willing to not only release software very quickly, but be able to completely change directions, throw things away, start anew. Um, I think that would, would have probably blown the minds of some of the people that I worked with at other companies in the defense mm-hmm. industry. Um, because they're just used to these long-term projects. It's like, okay, we signed a two-year contract. You know, we're going to work on delivering on this contract for two years. Yeah. You know, and the startup, it was like two months is your runway, <laughs> you yeah. know, and you might pivot three times in that two months. Yeah. Two years is like how long the CEO has been here or the founder <laughs> yeah. has been here. <laughs> no one else has been here more than six months. Yeah, exactly. So it sounds like some of it is uh, not necessarily technical skill, but just more conservative in terms of planning and organization and budget and hours. And I- I'm sure there's got to be an enormous pile of regulations that affects all this stuff too, that yeah. you don't have to deal with as much in most private industry. Oh yeah. In fact, the, um, I didn't have to deal too much with like uh, regulations like that, but oh my goodness, one of the things that I was so happy to leave behind was time tracking. You know, almost mm-hmm. all these contractors have to track their time down to like six minute intervals, recording what you worked on, what contract, which customer. Um, and uh, oh man, I was so happy to let that go. But you yeah. know, that's that's not really part of it. But I mean, you mentioned punching the clock when you were saying stereotypes. And, and frankly, that is kind of baked into the industry because so much of it is organized around time spent working on a project. And hmm. there are cases where you have dollars that are going to disappear unless they get spent. And so it's like, you know, you, I've seen cases where the, the company would have to throw people on a project just to burn those dollars or else they disappear. And boy, hmm. oh man, that's just demoralizing. But you know, some people don't, it doesn't bother them that much. Sure. And if you are working in like a high pressure, high stress situation with crazy hours, punching the clock sounds pretty good probably sometimes. Yeah, oh yeah, it certainly was. As long as the clock is like eight hours instead of 18 hours. (laughs) Um, But uh, all that, I think all of that is overshadowed by the fact that you get to put cool, fancy things on your resume. Like if there is a negative bias against defense contractors or the defense industry, it's it is completely swept away as soon as you put the word rust or elm or go, <laughs> let alone all three of them. The trifecta. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I don't know. I don't think. I think that's enough to dispel any any negative image people have of defense contractors. That said, I think there might be some places uh, politically that might not love the idea of hiring someone who worked in the defense industry. But I don't know. It's not really anything you can do anything about. You just won't work those places. That's fine. Yeah, um, that, that stigma might exist, but I haven't really seen too much of that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say in your specific case, not to worry about it at all. That's mm-hmm. you, You've got really fun experience to put on your resume. And for good or for ill, people weight that very heavily. <laughs> yep, they absolutely do. So in, fa- so in fact, that'll, unless oh, you come right out and say that this company I worked for was a defense contractor, that might never even come up, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That is very true. I mean, for me, and, and you actually, I did fine, right? I transitioned to private industry. It was no problem at all. This was about uh, six, almost seven years ago that I transitioned into private industry. And it was totally fine. And I didn't even have these hot technologies on my resume. And the, re- the technologies that I was interviewing to go work on didn't appear on my resume at all either. So it's kind of like... Um, what I, I think that what made me successful in that situation is that I found companies that were willing to assess me for aptitude and not just checking a box to make sure I had the right laundry list of technologies on my resume. And yeah. you're in a better position because you can probably walk in and check the aptitude box and the hot technologies on your resume. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. I think we answered it. Do you want to read our next question, Dave? Yeah, sure. This comes from an anonymous listener. It says, thank you for the podcast. It's very funny and useful. 
that's great. Thanks. You got those in the correct order. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. We just did a 360 performance evaluation where we provided, quote, strong points and, quote, improvement suggestions for two colleagues assigned by management. The completed reviews were sent to management, and management forwarded it to the people under review. One of the reviews I received was very positive, but the other one from a senior teammate that I work closely with had a very harsh and exaggerated improvement suggestion section and very short and unconvincing strong point section. I'm not sure if he really considers me incompetent or he just wrote the suggestions, which do have some truth in them, without bothering to put things in perspective and without considering the impact it can have on my career and motivation. I feel a bit resentful towards the reviewer and am worried about the potential negative consequences of this review. I am relatively new to the company. I only joined seven months ago. For now, I'm trying to act as if nothing happened. I am hesitant whether I should talk to this person. On one hand, he can write whatever he wants and say what he wants. On the other hand, I feel the review is unfair and too negative. I would appreciate your input on this. Ouch. Painful situation. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be it'd be hard to get kind of formal negative written feedback from a colleague that you worked with closely. Especially if it was a surprise too. If it yeah. that'd be the hardest part. If if you worked a lot with this person and you thought like things are going great, we seem to get a lot done, and then you get this review, it'd be kind of feel like you're you're blindsided almost. Oh yeah. Especially because it came through your manager, right? Yeah, yeah. So you know your manager saw it. Maybe this is the nice version that your manager filtered out. Is that what you're saying? Ooh, I wasn't <laughs> saying that, but that is a possibility. So I haven't been through 360 degree performance evaluations in this format where you you kind of like privately evaluate someone and then they all is this how they're supposed to work i thought uh, yeah, your manager this, was supposed to like anonymize them yeah that do this that is how my company does it we uh select in fact there's a couple differences here we select the people we want to hear from and then hmm. those people fill out the review stuff it's you know short few sentences positive and uh so they do the, basically the same format after that but then yeah they're anonymized your manager is allowed to see them and see who wrote them, but the employee doesn't. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised by this, but I wonder if the person who wrote the review knew that yeah. it would be <laughs> not I mean, anonymous. If, it'd be very easy to accidentally anonymize yourself. <laughs> <laughs> if you just talk about the project you worked on and there's two people that work on that project, it's pretty clear. I don't know. Yeah, that. so having never been through this process, that, that did feel weird that either what's the point of going through the manager if it's still just like your your colleague handing you this piece of paper, mm-hmm. but also your manager sees it? That seems weird. Yeah. So maybe the process broke down or maybe it was not clear. Or maybe that's how they do it. Maybe they want people to give direct feedback to each other. Well, that's how I've done that in the past. At a, so at a previous company, I uh, set up the feedback system and I, uh, I told people straight up, this will not be anonymous. And I, my reasoning was I want people to be willing to stand behind their feedback. And I felt that it would encourage people to offer constructive feedback. And what I mean by constructive is not just say positive things, but rather give people coaching and encouragement on ways that they can do better. So yeah. it's kind of like rather than saying, you know, you're a terrible engineer, You can say things like, I think that to take it to the next level, you need to improve your documentation skills and your, I don't know, refactoring skills, whatever. Just pick something as an example. Don't just pick something randomly during the actual feedback. (laughs) But (laughs) by not being anonymous, it's like you can go to someone and, and look them in the eye and say, I intend, I'm offering this advice to you because I believe in you and I want you to improve, not just to walk up to someone and say, you're terrible. So... It sounds yeah. to me like maybe this person missed that opportunity to really uh, offer good, good actionable advice. Yeah, I, I think there's a difference between harsh feedback and being insulting or mean or rude. And 
I, I know if I got negative feedback, it would hurt my feelings because I'm just a delicate, sensitive soul. But I feel like I would take some time to think, is this person being rude? Are they are they calling out my personality or, or saying insulting things? Or are they saying Jameson failed at this thing or he is not good at this thing or when he did this thing, it hurt the team in ways that don't make me feel good, but that that might be true or might reflect their perspective and trying to separate like they're trying to hurt me versus they're they're describing what they see as reality helps me a little bit in those situations. It's also in some ways getting direct feedback is is a rare gift. Most Mm -hmm. people don't give any feedback because they don't want to offend you. So they are way on the other side of they might drop some delicate hints that you'll never pick up on or understand about things that they they see you can improve on or they might just like talk about it behind your back with everybody else (laughs) (laughs) but they will they will very rarely come up and say hey this thing you did was wrong and bad or you should have done it this way instead so even though it hurts it it is it is kind of a gift to say like well at least i know (laughs) and it's not it's not passive aggressive it might just be aggressive, aggressive, <laughs> active, aggressive. <laughs> one one skill to develop as a more senior person on a team is how do you give direct feedback without offending people? And mm-hmm. I think most people err far too much on the being too indirect to try and preserve feelings side. Um, so at least you get exposure to the other side of it. Yeah, like maybe they're not worried about your feelings, but they're being very direct as a result of that. I I would suggest maybe examining how they work with other folks. Are they are they kind of like a curmudgeon and grumpy in general? Do they like, love to talk about how much code sucks? And I don't know. There's Is this kind of how they deal with the world? So mm. that might make you feel a little bit better if that's true. They're not singling you out as singularly incompetent. Oh, that is but really if that's not thought. true, then like that. it's even worse. <laughs> yeah, maybe don't open that door. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I would say try and separate the tone from the content. They they might not have developed the skill of delivering clear, direct feedback in, in a kind way. So you might have to apply that skill for them and say, like, they said things in an insulting way, but what was the content of it? And And then you can evaluate whether you think that's true or not. Maybe there is some truth to it. Maybe there isn't. Um, mm-hmm. but, but they've, they, they've left some work for you in, in figuring out like, this makes me feel a certain way. What, what are they saying behind what it makes me feel? If yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I, I want to call out one thing that the question asker wrote, which is that, uh, it says, um, there is some truth to these comments, which hmm. that takes a lot of maturity yeah. to say, I just got some harsh feedback and, uh, I can see that there's grains of truth in here that are gonna, that are something I can improve. Yeah. Especially and if it wasn't I think that delivered me. delicately. It's, it's yeah, really oh, easy yeah. to just get defensive and clamp down and say like, you joke or you don't know anything cause you, you hurt me. Exactly. And so the fact that you're able to see some truth in here speaks very highly of you. And what it tells me is that you're probably in a place where you could sit down with your manager. If you have a manager that you trust and say, here's the feedback I got, um, then describe what you understood it to be, uh, see if the manager agrees, and then ask the manager for coaching and say, what do you think I can do to improve in these areas? And how should I prioritize this this uh, effort of self-improvement? Um, sure. That will be, A, useful for you as an individual to receive coaching from a hopefully disinterested third party whose job is to coach you. But B, oh, I forgot B. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. B, uh, you are signaling to your manager that you are a proactive, self-improving team member. Um, which is a great message for your manager to hear because it tells them that you are willing to go the extra mile and do the work it takes to be a 
productive, positive member of this team. And yeah. meanwhile, this other person who maybe was a little bit flippant in their feedback and maybe didn't put that much effort into it has sent a separate signal, which is that I'm willing to th- to hurl negative feedback at people without considering their feelings and without giving them positive, constructive ways to work on it. And that's a very different signal from what you'll send by sitting down and getting coaching from your manager. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to hear someone say, I want to improve. How can I do it? Especially if you have concrete feedback of like, here's the feedback I got. What do you think about this? That's, um, I think that reflects fairly, very highly on you. So, so what about the potential damage it does to the working relationship between these two people? They've worked together closely on a project and then the question asker gets this negative feedback and it's possible that they haven't, it sounds like it was a surprise. So they probably haven't really talked about it in person. Like how do they go back to working together now? Do, do, do you bring it up and say like, Hey, those are my feelings or that's tough. I mean, it's awkward. Hate them forever in secret. Or I don't think it would be productive to tell this person that it hurt your feelings. I don't see any good coming out of that unless it was like really over the top bad behavior and they need to be corrected for that. Um, and in that case, it's probably above your pay grade and needs to be handled mm. by a manager anyway. What would you do? <sighs> what would I do? I think I would talk to my manager about it. I don't know. I'd probably do nothing. Honestly, I'd probably just feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> it feels it feels like the right thing to do would be to talk about it with this person. That feels like the harder thing to do, but potentially the right thing. And and if just like you're trying to communicate to your manager, hey, I'd like to improve, I'd like to get better, you can communicate that to the to your coworker and that might affect how they view you. You, you want to be careful to not like make them your boss by saying like, "Oh, you gave me this feedback and so I'll just do whatever you say as long as you are mm-hmm. mean to me." Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a risk. I think you really need to size up the character of this person before you go into this relationship because you're making yourself pretty vulnerable. Yeah, yeah, that's true. If they're a sociopath, then you're (laughs) in trouble. (laughs) Well, if they're a sociopath, they might just like murder you at any point too. So That's true. So you probably don't want to be alone in a room with them anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I hope you have an open floor plan. (laughs) Hey, Uh, finally, yeah, one of the benefits. (laughs) A high percentage of CEOs are sociopaths. The open floor plan is really to protect employees from Bring being the herd together. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like zebras. Oh my goodness! <sighs> You've done it. You found the reason. Yeah, I I think your suggestion of talking to your manager about it is that's hard. I mean, your manager already knows the feedback, so it's not like you're going to reveal any additional information besides I am interested in feedback and want to get better. So I've talked to two different managers over my career about negative feedback. Oh, actually three. I'll just share uh, one thing that I found common among these stories was I got a bunch of feedback, um, mostly positive, because usually, especially these non-anonymous things, they're overwhelmingly positive. Plus, I'm just a really likable guy. So, you know, (laughs) also I'm very intimidating in private, so people have a hard time giving me negative feedback. (laughs) You can't tell over the podcast, but Dave is eight feet tall. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so um, amidst the positive feedback that I received in a couple of these sessions, there was a few little uh, uh, negative feedback items that stood out. And I really latched onto those because, you know, like you read all these nice things. Dave's a great engineer, yada, yada. Oh, that's nice. And then someone's like, Dave made me feel bad in this situation. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, what did I do? You know? And in one case, actually in both cases, my manager said, you know what, Dave, I have some extra context on this situation. 
and I wouldn't focus too much on this feedback item. Uh, I think it's an outlier and I think it's not your normal behavior. And I do think there was some unusual circumstances that led to this feedback. And I don't think you need to change anything in particular for it. And I really appreciated that from my manager to bring a little bit of extra context to shine light on it in such a way that I could say, okay, I I can let this go. I don't have to latch onto it. I don't have to make an action plan and lay out goals to improve. You know, I can just say, look, my normal MO is actually uh, good for this situation but in this one circumstance things went a little bad i really like that that's great you don't necessarily have to pivot your life because someone gave you negative feedback especially if if you're performing well at work like that's theoretically that's the ultimate feedback right um so so i agree talk with your manager about it they might give some more context I think I also agree with myself try to separate the tone from the content but but also realize that you and i have something in common we both a podcast we, <laughs> no we both usually agree with you <laughs> good <laughs> then i'll keep you working know the, with you <laughs> in a podcast if you have two hosts and they both say the same things and one of them's not necessary <laughs> well, it's just redundancy in case just one of us let goes the down. one go who doesn't have the beautiful smooth melodious voice uh <laughs> Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Prepubescent Jameson. (laughs) Voice cracking. All right. Did we answer this question? I think we did. Good luck. It's a tricky situation, but I feel like learning how to deal with feedback well is a good skill. And and especially even learning how to deal with feedback that isn't so great, either not so positive or not so high quality is also a good skill. So Yes. Very, very important. Awesome. Well, where can people go if they want to get their own questions answered? They can go to softskills.audio, which is our website. They can click the ask a question button and put in some details into a form. We uh, really appreciate you sending in questions. We need more. Give us more questions. (laughs) Start some trouble at work and then ask us how to deal with the trouble you started. (laughs) Do something. Uh, Please keep them coming in. We really appreciate all the time and effort and we're, we're working through them. We'll get to yours. We will. The universe might die from heat death before we get to them, but we will eventually... Wait, no, that means we won't get to them all. Uh, we, we will keep the universe going. Okay. <laughs> Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> also, if you're interested, please support us on Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash softskillseng or to our website and click support us on Patreon. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much to all those who do. Thanks very much. All right. Catch you next week.